Uh, we were saved 40 years ago this fall. We thank God for saving us out of, uh, we, were, we were generational, uh, self-righteous, good Lutherans. Now, her sister is a bad Lutheran. Uh, we were good Lutherans. We were devoted and all of that. God brought us the gospel, convicted us of sin, and brought us a saving knowledge of grace. Thank the Lord for drawing us to his son through using people to bring us the gospel and convicted us and put our trust in Christ and we never knew what that would lead to. And so we thank the Lord for saving us, saving our kids, giving them good spouses and investing in their children. We have three adult children and wonderful spouses, 11 grandkids from ages uh, 15 down to about a year. And we thank God for them. And we live in Ankeny, have a good drive up this morning. And surprisingly, this was a quieter morning than normal driving up I-35, which we love driving on Sunday mornings. So thank you for, I, I told one of the gals this morning, we, we consider ourselves to be again, honorary members of St. Ansgar Baptist Church, you know. Whether you vote on it or not is irrelevant. That's what we think, that's what we feel. We will own you. And so we love being here. Thank you for the warm welcome. Always feel welcome. Love your pastor and his wife. And he encourages me a great deal in my ministry among the churches. I talked about that the last hour. So thank you for another warm welcome with you today. Um, I've been doing this for nine years as a state rep of the Iowa Association of Regular Baptist Churches. Prior to that, 24 years pastoring at Carroll. Prior to that, five years pastoring at South Des Moines. And um, uh, that four years of faith and getting saved at the age of 28 and Sandy was 26 back in 1983. And we remember those days. Remember coming to Christ and being people investing us and being in ministry and learning to um, what it means to be a pastor and a pastor's wife. And we were well prepared but had no clue what we were doing. That's not completely true, but, but a lot of surprise in your first ministry. And I was a young pastor. I'd been a civil engineer, had been superintendent of some projects and, uh, in, in my work as an engineer. I had some experience in being a manager, and that helped a lot in pastoral ministry. But this was new to us, and so we just decided we need to invest in people and preach and teach and maybe try to see people saved, and God honored that with several people coming to Christ in a church that had been split for about 20 or 30 years, and 30-some people began to grow. We saw conversion growth. Um, there's a gal who's a checker at High V, and a guy's a helicopter pilot for Mercy Airlife, a homeschool family. So a number of people came to Christ, and, and they had friends. The church began to grow, and there was no excitement because you had new baby Christians in a church, and that brings excitement to everyone. And so it was just fun to kind of manage that growth, and um, it was exciting. The church grew, and, and the, God was blessed, and there were difficult things along the way to tend to, but God gave us grace for that. Um, so as we're growing, I remember one deacon's meeting, and one of the deacons said, you need to understand that we're here to protect the church from people like you. I, I know, what are you talking about, protecting it from people like me? People getting saved, we're shepherding the people, and what? Well. They had a church split. He was reacting to needing to control the church and protect it from rogue pastors. They had a couple bad experiences and they were reacting to that by taking control of the church and protecting people like me. He said, pastors just come and go, but we're here for the long haul. That really put me on a good frame of mind that day. <laughs> <laughs> but they wanted pulpit supply and no leadership. We control the church, 
you fill the pulpit, you fill the pews, you bring in the money, and we run the church. That was their theology, which is not what the Bible teaches about being a deacon. I know they were reacting to experience, and if you shoot at something, they remember where they were shot, not people. Right. <laughs> it's a hunting metaphor, to clarify that. If you shoot at turkey, he remembers where, and he'll avoid that place. This, uh, interviewed a lot of turkeys in my career, and that's what they've all said. <laughs> I've read that. <laughs> that's where the word gun shy comes from. And so they were just reacting to that and had an unbiblical view of we're here to run and control the church. You fill the pulpit. We're okay with that. I started to shepherd. They had a problem with that. We eventually did leave. I couldn't work with that. What a shock to hear. You know, hear people getting saved and protect the church from people like me? Um, I wasn't authoritarian, don't think so, and just shepherding and seeing people saved and discipling them, and uh, I thought, wow, what an unbiblical view of being a deacon. And so we can have assumptions about that that are not based on the word of God, that are from tradition or experience or reacting that create conflict in a church. The church is the body of Christ, that Jesus Christ is building by adding people to his body through faith in his son and building and bringing it in together. And so if you look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, look at how Paul addresses the church in Philippi. It's very interesting how he addresses them. He said, Paul and Timothy's servants, that's how Paul saw himself as servants of Christ Jesus. First of all, servants to the saints in Christ with the overseers and the deacons, everybody included. To the saints, which is all of us, the set-apart ones, the overseer, the bishop, overseer, pastor, and the deacons. We comprise the body of Christ with different roles and responsibilities, and we know, need to know how they work. It's like in a family. You need to know what the mom's dad job is, the dad's job is, what's the job of the kids, which is not hard. Honor and obey them. That's your job. Our job is to bring them to maturity and work together at that. That's kind of our job. So we've been talking today about, about what we do to function within the body that Christ can do. We talked about a pastor's role as shepherd, overseer, elder, the work of an evangelist, and how he's to oversee the flock. Now we talk about deacons today. You're thinking, I'm not a deacon. Half of you will never be one because you're the wrong sex, right? See, so well, you will select them, right? It's your job to choose off among us, so you will select them and you'll be listening to them, you'll be working with them, but some of you might be a deacon someday. As we'll look at qualification for deacon, every man should strive to be that. Are they unique to deacons? No. Must they have them? Yes. But every man ought to strive to be a guy who could be a deacon someday, even if he isn't. There should be an object, a goal of mine to have Christ grow me to be that kind of a man, whether selected to be a deacon or not. And so we're going to look today, and the time we have left till about 1 o'clock. Just kidding. All these little things to see if you're still with me. <laughs> but look at what it means to be a deacon. So you have some notes in front of you. It's not a six font, a seven. I think it's a nine font. The older I get, I like bigger fonts. I like, you know, larger print Bibles for my 40th. Was it, what birthday was it I got a larger print Bible, was it? 60th birthday, there you go, that was a close call. 60th birthday, got a large print Bible, large, no, larger print Bible. There's a difference. Large print is for old people. 
<laughs> larger people like me, kind of in between younger and older, right? Larger print Bible, something like that. Don't be offended by that in the world. All right. Now, it's amazing how little the Bible says about a deacon. It doesn't say that much. Now, pastoral stuff is all over the place. The process that is a lifelong journey for a shepherd to know what is his job. But deacons is confined to a handful of passages. It doesn't tell a lot about what they did. So it's how they were chosen and why, and what qualifies them, but not a lot about what they did. So we need to be careful not to impose on them things the Bible doesn't say about them. Let's go to, let's go to, yeah, let's go to the book of deacons. <laughs> let's go to, uh, let's go to, this was an early morning. You'll forgive me for that. Go to Acts chapter 6. We, we likely think that this was a selecting of the first deacons. It doesn't say that, but the text implies that. I'm going to tell you why I think that. But let's go to Acts chapter 6, make it our text. The other text would be 1 Timothy chapter 3, where qualifications are listed. But here, this is, I believe, how deacons came to be and what their responsibilities were. Let's begin reading in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, now a disciple is a believer in Jesus Christ. We are to make disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching. A disciple is not just someone who's growing, but a disciple is a believer in Jesus, a follower of him through faith in him. So the number was growing. So don't tell me numbers don't matter. As we do the work of ministry, God will give us people. And so they were investing in lost people, bringing them the gospel, seeing people. So the number of disciples was growing. The number of believers was growing. What a great problem to have. Right. Amen. <laughs> right? And when you have lots of babies going on in a church, babies are messy. They create problems. You have, your, you have long, young families and couples, and kids are coming in every few years, and it creates an interesting dynamic in a family with young children. And they're dependent and messy and demanding because they're sinners. And, but we love them because they're kids. So, the number to, so this was a little bit of uh, organized confusion and unprecedented. There was no church before the book of Acts. This is all brand new to them. So on the day of Pentecost, they're told to, do, to make disciples of all nations and be witnesses to me. And so they did, and this was the product of God working. More disciples are added to the church. And they were outgrowing how to handle that. <laughs> Imagine those meetings among the apostles. You know, I ask, what in the world do we do with all this? There's all these baby believers coming in. And so things began to be neglected. So a complaint by the Hellenists, or these were the Greek-speaking Jews, is a language of the day, versus the Hebrew-speaking Jews. So the Hellenists are the Greek-speaking Jews against the Hebrews, which is the Jewish-speaking Jews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So as you read from early on in the book of Acts, um, they would dispense among the church family to meet their needs. They would have things in common, they sold what they had, they dispensed, they came into church, say, you can have this, you have this, how they care for one another. And some people got neglected because it's just too much to handle. There's no blame here. It's just too much going on. How do we handle growth? Growth is a problem. It's a nice one. <laughs> so they said, we're, they're being neglected. And so the, look what they did. The 12 summoned the full number of the believers. So they got the church together and had a church fireside chat. Let's call it that. Had a members meeting. 
So they summoned the number, the, all the number of steeples were there. Uh, I encourage you to be there when the church gathers, and so they did. It is not right that we should give up our preaching the word of God to serve tables. So we are having to not do what God calls us to do to serve the tables. So that's being neglected. So we're doing this to not do that. It's not right that we should. This is not a good plan going forward, right? Therefore, brother, this is to the assembly, choose out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will delegate them this responsibility. They'll have authority over that. We will appoint them to act on behalf of the church to handle this thing. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They said, we agree. That was their affirmation. That was the church vote, if you call it. They said, we agree, and we affirm that. So a Solution was presented, affirmed by the people. We think that's a great idea as how a church government works. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, all Hebrew names, right? Not one. Interesting. The Hebrews brought a complaint against the Greeks and they picked all Greek men to fix it. Even the Hebrews voted that. Six Greeks and one Gentile. That's interesting. And these they set before the apostles. Here's them we have chosen. This is our choice. And they pray for them, laid hand on them, which means we affirm, we agree, we're with you, we're partners. That's a great plan. And look what God did when the problem was solved. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples now is multiplying greatly. Not just being added, but multiplying greatly. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Wow, look at the impact of handling growth right. That's where deacons came from. That's the etymology of being a deacon. Became out of a need of the local church. So, let's look at some background of Acts chapter 6 about how deacons came to be. Now, the church began in Acts chapter 2, 3,120 people began to begin. Well, how do I know? Because there are 120 disciples, 3,000 were saved. I can add. Yeah. Right? 120 disciples, 3,000 people. 3,120 people began to be the church, the first regular Baptist church of Jerusalem. Something like that. It is the first church ever, though. Did not win before. This is the body of Christ from the beginning. It began on the day of Pentecost. People were saved daily as God added them to their number. Many who heard the gospel believed in Christ, and number grew to about 5,000 in about chapter 5. 5,000 men, which means probably 15,000 people. They were of one heart and one soul in Acts chapter 4. They're knit together as one body. This is a brand new, there's no, there's no seminar to go to, no books to read, no how do you do church. They had the apostles and their teaching and no precedent. Uh, this is incredible what they did. So they were unified and they cared for the needs of each other and they kept increasing in numbers. So you get to Acts chapter 6. A legitimate complaint was raised that the church grew in number. The problem the church continued to care for the one another's needs. That was a good thing. It involved the Hellenists 
and the Hebrews, or the Greek or Aramaic-speaking Jews. The Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the needs. That was their way of handling the needs of the saints that had probably lost their jobs. You put your faith in Christ in the Hebrew community, they will excommunicate you. They had to stick together. They met daily, took care of each other. That was their method of taking care of each other. And we should somehow find a way to care for each other today. Maybe not exactly like that. The apostles could not keep up with the meeting the need and were neglecting the work God called them to do. This ripple effect was not sustainable and could have divided church. So the solution is they summon the disciple, they summon the, they summon the church family, they summon them, they said, got to have a church gathering. Um, and they offered a solution that would allow them to fulfill the responsibilities that God had called them to. They asked the church to pick out from among you seven men men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom they would appoint and delegate this duty to them. The solution was affirmed by the church and this pleased the whole together. They said, this is a great plan. So there's a plan, a presentation, and affirming by the body. That's the role that you play in things decided by your church. You affirm that or reject it, and the authority rests with the body. And so they chose seven men from among them that fit these qualifications. They, these seven men, they sat before the apostles and prayed and laid hands and said, we're with you, we pray for you, handle this on behalf of the church. The results, the needs of those who had been neglected were met. The apostles could now devote themselves to prayer of the ministry of the word. Seven of them are serving in ways they had not been serving before. They say, how do we do this? Let's go to a seminar on being a deacon. I don't have one. But they knew that they just had to serve and take care of the people, and they, they saw it done, so they just did it. We were first saved. We decided to give our life to Christ and say, hey, we'll serve any way you want us to serve. And I thank the Lord for that. We just kind of had a Romans 12 experience without knowing it's in Romans chapter 12. Positioned by a living sacrifice. So we did. We went to our pastor and said, we'll serve in any way you want. Then he fell over and picked him up off the floor. <laughs> and we, we met and said, we will do anything. We want to learn how to serve. They said, how about junior church? I said, sure. What in the world were we thinking? <laughs> One year of children, we, we made it. We had no curriculum, no training, no precedent. Just figure it out for a year with two and three and four-year-olds. We just made it up. Kind of some biblical things like teach them how to be civilized. Right? Like how to eat a cookie and milk without spilling it on your friend. How to give thanks. How to sing. How, we taught them how to, how to sit. How to rest. How to read scripture. We, now, engineers are not good drawing, but I can do stick figures really, really good. So I did stick figures of Abraham and drew out Bible stories. We just made it up, but we just figured it out. Okay, we're going to find out a way to make sure everyone gets what's been brought. So they did. Sometimes that you might feel like that. That's okay. So, the, so the, the, the church remained unified. This kept the church unified. A significant spiritual impact on them and others as they continued to grow, and God blessed how they handled their growth. This can split some churches. Even a building, auditorium. Maybe I can't be the only piano player anymore. I'd have to share that with someone. I'm glad you do. Lady in our church did not want to do that. That was her piano. 
Yeah, Isn't that terrifying? With young girls qualified, and she said, no, that's mine. And so you're gonna have to learn to share responsibilities and, and grow, because growth can split a church, and it didn't, they were unified. So lessons to be learned from church problems can present us with a number of opportunities. This is what Warren Weir's, the WW's Warren Weir's B. Church problems can present us with a number of opportunities. Problems give us an opportunity to examine our ministry and see what changes must be made. It isn't working. You can change how you do things and you're not violating the scriptures. Doctrine we die for. That's embedded in our heart and mind. Our concept. We, don't, we don't change our doctrine. But I can change how we do ministry. You change how you have seating. You went from pews to pew chairs. Don't even have a center row anymore, which really, but I get to look right in people's faces. That's a really bad place to sit. <laughs> so we, we can change, right? And some things have to be changed to grow. And so our churches have not historically done that well because they thought every change was compromised, all changes that. Where's that in the Bible? Growing is changing, repenting is changing, adjusting to ministry, they would have probably killed the church. So sometimes things need to change. It's easy to maintain the status quo and resist needed change. Somebody said, I like it the way it is, I don't like change. That would have killed the church. We work with a lot of churches that need to drastically change their ministry focus from doing church to making disciples. And you get pushback. And they like the step, they're ignorant of the fact that church is dying and dead and keeping the life on and witnessing to them. And, and, and the pastor ends up leaving. Resistant to meaningful change to rethink ministry can kill a church. We must regularly examine our ministries, our methods, and our structure and rethink what we do. Here's a biblical example of that, right? Probably give us opportunities to exercise our faith, the Lord and the Lord and each other. The leader suggested a solution. The members agreed with it. The assembly selected seven men and they entrusted this ministry to them. The church was not afraid to change their structure to suit a growing ministry. How about that? Good for them. The apostles were not afraid to share or delegate this ministry with someone other than them. They did not have to do it all. If pastor does it all, will kill himself, metaphorically. Everyone was involved in the process and everyone benefited from the solution. Problem give us the opportunity to exercise wisdom and express our love for one another. The Hebrew leaders, predominantly Hebrew members, selected six Hellenists to manage their widows. Isn't that interesting? I think that's incredibly humbling. A great illustration of thinking of others in Philippians 2, having the mind of showing honor to one another, like in Romans chapter 12. So a permanent change was made to the structure of the local church. The book of Acts is a transitional book from infancy to the church of established churches. It contains some once-for-all events, like Pentecost, some precedents, some permanent changes. The apostles' ministry would gradually give way to pastors and deacons over time. Very likely these seven men became the first deacons, though the title isn't used because the word deacon means servant. The word servant is used in Acts 6.1. In Acts 6.2, the word ministration in Sir Tables is the word deacon. 
The qualification is similar to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Wow, we got through page 1. Are you with me? All right. So that's the background. So let's, let's look at, pull from here. Here's the sermonic outline of that, okay? Um, all right, so what are deacons and what do they do? Deacons are selected. Selected by the church, by the body, by the gathering. They select them. They're selected due to their qualifications. Let's look at uh, 1 Timothy, uh, let's look at 1 Deacon chapter 3 on the world. 1 Timothy 3 is qualifications of pastors and deacons. So let's look at that. For, this is the other passage, the only one that has to do with deacons here is Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3. A couple I'll throw on you at the very end. But here, look at chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, verse 6. Deacons, a local church is made of pastors, deacons, and believers. That makes a duly constituted church. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Not that they don't laugh and have fun, but they're dignified men. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith they're devoted to the word of God and they stand firm and they will die for things in the word. Let them also be tested first and then let them serve as de let them serve as servants. Interesting double word here. It's like the tooth dentist. I'm serious. Let them serve as servants. And if, if they prove themselves to have been blameless, they're wise like what's be dignified and not slanderers, but sober-minded, Faithful of all things, let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, a one woman kind of a man, loyal, devoted to his wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ. That's the qualifications of a deacon, similar to Acts chapter 6. So go back to your notes. So they're of good repute have a good reputation inside outside of the church, they're full of spirit, full of wisdom. The word full means covered over or influenced by. They're completely covered over by the spirit. They're spiritually driven men. And they're full of faith, mentioned of Stephen specifically. Godly character, understanding, and fidelity to the word of God. They know and live the word. They know it and they live it and they will die for it. Tested and proven, mentioned twice. They're family men. They're a one-woman man, wiser spiritual children, are not never disobedient, but they're managing them well, meaning they're training and counseling and bringing them up. They're not perfect. Your pastor's kids are perfect, but you ought to be training them. And they manage their household well. They're not selected, this implication, uh, because of the longevity in the church. I've been here since I was 12 years old. And I should be a deacon by now. Well, maybe you're a Hebrew 5 believer that by now ought to be teachers, but you're not because you never put it to use. That doesn't make you qualified to be deacon because you've been here because you're a founding member. I've been here a long time. And I, I'm not making this up. But I was in a, uh, Joe Hayes, my predecessor, godly man, we were at a pulpit committee meeting with a search committee, and he kind of training me in, and they're sitting in the church on a Tuesday night. And a member walks in and, you know, kind of huffy and, I need to be in the pulpit committee. I demand to be here. I have a right to be here. And they said, you're not in the pulpit committee. And they had clearly defined who's on the pulpit committee and who is. It was the deacons and he wasn't one. So he had no right to be there, but he demanded to be in the pulpit committee. Why is that? Well, I, um, 
I'm a founding member. And I gave money, and I mowed the lawn. That was the killer to me. Therefore, and Joe Hayes said, you need to leave. I said, wow, this is what I'm getting into. <laughs> Longevity doesn't qualify you to be a deacon or someone that's influential in the church or the community or someone successful in their job or management or if they are popular, if they're major givers, if they've been a deacon elsewhere, I mean, they qualify to be one here or to encourage them to be faithful or to help them grow. Oh, let's make them a deacon. That'll help them grow. No, they're to be tested and proven, then let them serve. And they will grow. I faced every single one of these in some place in my ministry. In fact, one of the uh, members of our church in Carroll, outgoing man, transparent man, loved people, was good evangelistically, but he came into my office one day and said, Pastor, I, I just don't, the church doesn't make me a deacon. I think I ought to be a deacon which is probably, probably why you should not be a deacon. If you think you ought to be one, you probably should not be one because they're humble servants. The word servant means to crawl in the dust like a snake in the, in the, in the belly in the, in the rut of the wagon wheel. That's the word. It means, it means like low tide, a servant looking up. And I said, Dan, he said, I was one of my other churches. And I thought, well, maybe you should not have been. I said, Dan, you know, I'm not running a campaign for people not to elect you. The church had decided not to make you one. They looked out and said, that's not for you. That's just what they, and you have to be okay with the church's decision. Yeah, I, I know. And I said, Dan, you know, you love people. Why don't you be a witness and disciple people that get saved? And because not many people do it. Why don't you do that? You don't have to be a deacon to do that. Do that. He said, oh, no. He finally left to kick him out of the next church and several churches after that, then he left his wife. I'm glad he was never a deacon. So you select them by their qualification biblically. Number two, they're stewards of what God has entrusted to them. This is not mentioned. A pastor is entrusted with his stewardship, but the, the implication here is they're entrusting to them things to do on behalf of the church. They're appointed to this business. So a steward manages something on behalf of someone else, literally a house manager. So God stewards us with the gospel. It's his gospel. He gives it to us. He empowers us. He uses us. We give an account for that. It's his gospel entrusted to us. A church is a stewardship. So being a deacon, you are appointed by the church to act on behalf of the church and give an authority over that realm. If you look at Acts 4 through 13, 34, 35, they sold, they brought things, they laid the apostle P, they distributed to everyone. That was their stewardship, was to handle the physical needs of the church. They were appointed here at Acts 6, designated by the church to act on behalf of the church. They designate and appoint you to oversee this. We give that to you, we entrust that to you to manage that on behalf of the church. It means to appoint a person to a position, to a place of authority over what's been appointed to you. The authority of a deacon is over what's been appointed to you to act on behalf of the church. It means a servant with a household. It'd be like um, Joseph in Potiphar's house was a steward, oversee his affairs. And it says they were appointed to this duty, meaning this employment, this need, uh, to this response, to, to furnish what was needed to fill that, that particular duty 
means that specific duty was given to them. Steward is rewarded. They laid hands on them and said, we agree, we're partners, and go for it. A steward is rewarded for his faithful service. It gains a good standing and confidence in the faith. I pray that deacons would find joy in their serving. That God would bless them in their serving. So if you're a deacon, you've been entrusted by the church to handle something with authority over that, to facilitate that. They trust, stewardship is a sacred trust. They trust you for that. Act on their behalf, figure it out, we're behind you, bring a report back. And they trust you with that. And a deacon should go, oh, I want to handle that well. I want to manage that well because it's not mine, it's the church. And they had that kind of confidence in you and selected you among the rest of them and said, we appoint you to serve in this way as a steward to be responsible for this, whatever we appointed to you. In some churches without a pastor, they designate the deacons to be the pulpit committee. They give that duty to them. So for a while, they're in charge of finding a pastor, leading them through. So they're a duty given to them. And I've met deacons go, I didn't think it would be a deacon. I didn't think it would be a pulpit committee when I became a deacon. I didn't sign up for this. Well, God had you sign up for that. And I've had, I've had guys that are godly men. I walked into one church years ago. Godly group of men, terrified to be a search committee. None had ever done it, and one had a bad experience with it. And, and, and they looked in with a deer in the headlights look. I said, just calm down. I'm going to walk you through how to call a pastor. They said, we're done. He said, you know, I think we could do that. That was great. That was really cool. I think we could. Well, the church thought you could, and they got some help. I think we could do that, and they did. And they called a good pastor. They led well. That was authority given to them by the church, a sacred trust to walk the church through a transition, to maybe rethink ministry and, and do some revitalization work and, and bring the right men in and, and go through all the resumes. And when they called the pastor, they were glad to be done with that. But they stewarded that well that was given to them by the church. So a deacon is selected and he's steward. And this is the big one. He's a servant. The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. Dia means through, konos means, means to serve through. It means to run errands, to hasten after, to pursue, instead of a runner. So you're running after serving. And what's been appointed? You, you're not... You're not lazy, you're not without initiative. Good deacons take initiative to find out how to serve and what's been appointed to them. They run after it, they, they pursue it, they take it seriously. Uh, it means to wait upon, to be a servant. It just denotes a servant. A diakonos, generally speaking, it seems from doulos means a bond servant. A diakonos is a servant relationship to his work. A doulos is a relationship to his master. So we're all bondservants of Christ, but diakonos means a servant relationship to his work. Okay, what is a deacon not? Is that even good grammar? What are they not? <laughs> they are not to run the church. There's no authority for deacons to run the church. The church is the body of Christ with shepherds and deacons and servants and, and saints. The pastor is the shepherd, the leader, the overseer. The deacons serve the church and serve him. 
And the saints go to work and support that and select that and affirm that and work together. But their job is not to run the church. They have no authority to do that. They're not a board of governors. Uh, they're not gatekeepers. They're not exercise control over the pastor. Like keep him on a short leash. Don't have veto power to shut him down everything he suggests. They have an obligation to hear him out and work with him together. They're not the final voice that doesn't rest with them or the pastor. That doesn't rest with him. Even as a shepherd and as a leader, he is to not lord it over the flock and issue edicts and decrees. And this is my decision. Authoritarian churches are like that. Even fundamental Baptist church, authoritarian pastors. They think they have the right to be an apostle. And people just, yes, okay, we'll do it. That's not his role. It's not even the deacon's role. You work together as shepherding and serving with us affirming that. And so it's not that. You're not given authority of a pastor, elder, or overseer. That's why you take, be careful who you call to be your shepherd. Because he's your overseer. He's your shepherd. He's the elder. That's been given to him, working with his deacons, working with the saints. It can actually be that simple. If no one's clamoring for control, no clamoring to be like a rogue bull, no one clamoring to be in charge of things, it can work biblically. Paul saw, saw no contradiction between shepherding, deaconing, and being a believer. We just work together. It can be that simple. Shepherds lead, deacons serve, and we come alongside and work together. With the right spirit of humility, that can work. It can be that simple. With no one having an agenda, no operating alone, always working together. I had good deacons in Carroll. I valued their input. I would say, here's a thought. What do you think? We'll meet next month to talk about it before I ever told them what I thought. And if they said, I don't think we should do that, I say, why? I say, okay, I think it's probably not a good idea. And I would listen to them. I, I wouldn't act without them. I needed them. They're godly, spiritually minded men, full of wisdom. Why would I not seek counsel from them? I'm not going to issue a decree and and we, will, we would never bring something without a consensus. Maybe give it more time, maybe table it for a while. But I worked with them, and it just kind of worked well with the spirit of humility, of shepherding and serving. It just worked. And so deacons are not any of that. I know some are reacting, and some have, that's been the condition, but there should not be, there's also a thing as a board of deacons. Um, deacons are not a board. I'm on a board. I'm on the Faith Baptist Bible College Board of Directors. I'm the chairman of the board. How did that ever happen? What in the world? I'm happy to serve, but we are a board of governors. We set policy, get input from the, from the faculty administration. We set the policy, turn the president loose. Our job is to hire the president, care for the president, and give him policy, and then he flushes out. That's, our, that's in simple, like five days of board governance training right there. That's really like $5,000 worth right there. It took us a long time to figure that out. We don't micromanage what he does, and, um, but we get input from the faculty, input from the president, input, and we make a policy decision. You flesh it out, we'll see you next time, and we'll pray for you. We don't micromanage. He doesn't question the policy. The faculty's not the decision maker. They, we, we seek, it'd be stupid, did I say stupid? It'd be foolish <laughs> to not get their input. 
If we're gonna go online, what does that look like for you? We, went, we had that discussion six months before COVID hit. How providential is that? And they've been pushing against it. I understood, I like this in-person stewarding, but we decided we have to go online and so, but we, how is it gonna work? So we got the input from the faculty, input from the administration. We said, we're going to do it, have at it. In six months, we had to go online. But we learned how it works. We get input from here, policy there, president flushes it out. Like I said, that's $5,000 worth of governance training. But it worked. But this isn't that. This is not a board of, there's no board of governors. There's no turn the pastor loose and never hold them accountable. The church is different than that. We have a shepherd, an overseer, and a pastor who understands, if he gets it, the solemnity of that and the need for input from his people. That's why he spends time with his church family. That's why he spends time getting to know them, to live among his flock, to get close to his flock, to get their heart, get their opinion, so that he brings something, he kind of has a sense for the pulse of the church. Some deacons live disconnected from their flock. Has happened a couple of times. One church that we were in, uh, in Bible college, they presented, the deacon presented a man to be presented for uh, me to pass. The church voted no. And they went, what? And we wondered why they picked this man. It just didn't seem like a good fit. And so the church said no. They have a right to do that. And they scratched their heads and got us a good pastor that fit. They didn't know the congregation well. And so the church didn't affirm it. Another church a couple of years ago met a man in pulpit supply and said he should be our pastor, presented to the church. The church said no. We don't know him. You've never included us in the process of getting to know him. So they didn't get the input, didn't get the exposure. The church said no. We don't know this guy. Don't impose him on us. Of course that's not going to work. The church said no, and they rejected it, and they have a right to do that. So why would you not want to know your people and include your deacons? A wise pastor gets all that input before he recommends a motion to the church and to the deacons. We work together. It can be that simple. So what do they do? They serve with authority over what's been delegated to them to facilitate what's been delegated to. It requires initiative, humility, responsibility, and activity. Serving is work. <laughs> <laughs> Being a deacon is work. It requires all of this, and good deacons take initiative with humility, responsibility, and they put on a good plan. They minister to the needs of the church, furnishing what is needed. They relieve the pastor from tasks that would hinder him from giving full attention to his job. A pastor will clean the toilets if it needs to happen. But he shouldn't have to. Come to church on Sunday morning and there's stuff hasn't been cleaned up. It shouldn't have to happen. Every pastor writer will do anything that needs to be done anytime it needs to be done. But you can't let him do that all the time. You really, that set them free for the preaching of the word. They're spiritually minded men, full of wisdom, completely filled with the spirit, overflowing with the spirit to offer counsel, perspective, Wisdom and support of the pastor. A good pastor values that. A wise overseer works with his deacons, values their input, and does never act alone. I've always lived by that. I don't want to hang myself. <laughs> I truly need them. Like in a marriage, I don't act alone anymore. 
have a wife. And we're to submit to one another. Spiritual people, uh, Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another, then husbands and wife, but it begins with the foundation of submitting, needing one another. I value her input. I won't act without it. If she says, I don't think so, I say, okay, we're not going to do that. I was dumb enough to not do that a few years. I won't give you illustration, but I've learned to do that. <clears throat> there was a dog in a car that didn't end well. <laughs> Leave it at that. She said, okay. And I said, oh man, I've learned. The deacons and the pastor, understanding their unique roles, worked together on, on behalf of the church, delegated them as stewards. There must be mutual respect and dependence and submission. Oh, there's that Ephesians 5.21 thing again. It just comes up all the time. Actively engage themselves in the Great Commission. So here's two more deacon texts. I'm going to finish with this. So what did deacons do? They served tables. And two deacons did something interesting. One was Stephen, one was Philip. Go read those chapters, like Acts 7 and Acts 8, and find out what deacons did when they weren't in church. Stephen defended the faith with an apologist and, and died for it. Philip the evangelist, it was on the road to Emmaus, or it, it, uh, met the eunuch on the road south of Gaza, so he evangelized. So I love deacons who will defend the faith and evangelize. That's what they did outside of church. And that's pretty much it on deacons. It is. But it lays out some principles, some theological template that you select them, their stewards, and their servants. Defending the faith, evangelizing the lost, that's a good deacon. Now, as you sit here thinking, you're sitting, well, I'm not a deacon. You're going to select them, so I hope you will select them well. All men ought to strive to be a man that could be a deacon, whether he's ever chosen to be one or not. Deacons serve well. Serve well. What's been entrusted to you by your church family. And then you have to be okay, in a sense, with never being chosen to be one. Uh, that's not a slap in the face. It's not something you have to be okay with that. As members, my job is to worship Christ, walk with God, work together, and support my pastor and deacons, select them. And the, the big thing is, we are laboring together under the headship of Christ because we're members of his body for the cause of the gospel. We put aside agendas and acting alone on behalf of the church. The spirit of humility, every church can work together for the cause of Christ to see disciples added and multiplied into address things and change our structure in the roles that we've been given. The church kept on growing. Imagine what if they wouldn't have done that? What would have happened? I have no idea. And so this is the role of a deacon, the role that we play in a local church. The pastors, the deacons, and the saints. Select them well, serve well, strive to be the kind of man that could be a deacon, and labor together in your role in a local church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning to look at, biblically, what it means to be a deacon, a servant, entrusted on behalf of the church to do things for Christ. But I thank you for the deacons that I've had. I've had some that have struggled with understanding what that role was, was disheartening. I thank you for the deacons I've had that were godly men with wisdom I valued that put a brakes on some of my plans encouraged me with different perspective got behind me when things were tough 
and a church family that affirmed that, that selected good and godly men to represent them in a local church. And Father, thank you for establishing the church as people who have come to Christ, who are born again and now part of the body, and some to be pastors, deacons, and saints. Help us to value our different ministries and opportunities. Help us to labor together uh, because we're one body but individually members of it. Help us to do well, serve you well, that people will come to Christ and our church will, will grow. To the honor of our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you today, if you have never come to Christ, that today would be the day that you do that. The body of Christ is built by people coming to Christ, putting their faith in him, uh, coming to him, learning of him, growing in him. Um, I was 28 years old before I understood the gospel and confessed my sin but by trusting Christ and it took a long time for me. But God used people, God used his word, God used his spirit to convict me of my pride, my arrogance, and my sinfulness to see my need of what Christ did for me on the cross and become a, a disciple of his. I encourage you to do that today. Talk to someone who knows what it means and become part of his body.